Slow Show by Mia Ugly Chapter 11 And the award goes to Anthony Crowley for Warlock. Crowley didn't write anything down, didn't even consider writing something down. There were contenders in this category. Brenda Blethyn was in this category. Crowley wouldn't have even stood up if it wasn't for bees pulling on his arm, sneering vitriol at him. Thank God for bees. He gives his acceptance speech on pure adrenaline, his hands and neck still smelling like Avery fell, reeling from the warmth of Azzy's body, the sudden unexpected contact. Crowley makes up a bunch of nonsense on the spot and almost fucking calls him Angel. Right there, on the stage, the word snags like a cough in his throat. Hell on earth, wouldn't that be the worst thing ever? Wouldn't that be the end of the world? He can just imagine Avery's shuddered look of horror, the most brutal sort of betrayal. Avery, he says instead, just barely managing to keep his voice from breaking. I know there have been some hard times. I'm in love with you. I'm still in love with you, you gorgeous thing. It's been three weeks and I'm still dreaming about your hands, about the salt of your fingertips against my tongue. That's... that is what it is. But for me, it's been a privilege, a dream. So, he nods and nods and nods again, the only thing he seems capable of doing at this point. Right, move along. Crowley, it's done. Thank you. He gets clapped on the back by Dominic West, almost knocked off his feet. Dom's a beast of a man, and is escorted off the stage. Brilliant work, mate, Dominic's saying to him, but there's blood rushing in Crowley's ears. He can barely hear anything else. You deserved it. Well done. He's ushered into a green room to wait for a bit, and then he's brought into another room where his photo is taken over and over again with the trophy, and then he's brought into a writhing den of reporters, placed behind a microphone and blinded by flashbulbs. Number 121, the press wrangler says into her own microphone, and an invisible reporter speaks up from somewhere in the crush. Anthony, congratulations. First off, how does it feel to win your first major award? Crowley searches for whoever is speaking in the crowd. Um, a little less emphasis on the first, if you would. The gathered reporters laugh, and Crowley relaxes a fraction. He can do this. He's good at being laughed at. Well, it feels smashing, still a bit unreal. Because this is the one that the people vote on, the fans. And I never thought I'd get a chance to, you know, claw my way back into their esteem. To have the audience say, yeah, we know you've got a history, and yeah, we're an openly queer cock-up, and Warlock is a good show, and you're good by osmosis. That means everything, really. Makes me feel just lucky, so lucky. Number 82. Hi, congratulations again, the voice calls from the crowd. Crowley scans the sea of faces until he finds a blonde-haired and fabulous-lashed young woman. Coming in tonight, what did you think about your chances of winning? What did I think about my chances? Not much. 
It earns him another laugh, which makes the corner of his mouth twitch in almost satisfaction. Seriously, not much. I didn't write a speech. I didn't think at all about what I was going to say. Couldn't picture myself up on that stage. Not that I didn't love my character's growth last season, and not that I wasn't proud as hell of the show. I just couldn't imagine it, this, happening. So, <laughs> big surprise. I'm still shaking. Number 29. Hi, Anthony. You were in the papers last week for an altercation between yourself and your co-star, Avery Fell. Crowley's heart plummets. Not much, just enough to chip a couple of ribs on its way down. Some headlines even alleged you assaulted him. I'm wondering if you'd like to tell your side of the story. <laughs> Crowley wets his lips. I wouldn't, really, like to. Avery released a statement. don't think there's much more to be said about it. There's a silence that hangs after his words. When it's clear he isn't going to add anything else, the wrangler calls for the next reporter. Number 72. Hello, Anthony. It's a young person with a half-shaved head and ears full of rings. Crowley smiles at them, already in favour of their vibes. You're probably well aware of the fan-following that Warlock has, particularly the relationship between your character and Avery's. Crowley bites the edge of his tongue. Yeah, I'd say I'm aware. What would you say to those fans who were hoping the New Year's Eve incident was some kind of lover's spat? Crowley hopes that the bob of his throat isn't audible against the microphone. <laughs> Why are there people saying that? Jesus, um... Well, I'd, um... I'd say to them they're wrong. Of course, wasn't anything as dramatic as that. You know, actors... Touchy so-and-sos, get a couple of drinks in us and there's bound to be drama. Sorry to disappoint. Number 108. How's your relationship with your co-star now? Judging from your speech, it sounds like you're on good terms again. This is better. This is a question Crowley is practised in answering, lowering a plexiglass wall between his feelings and his words. Well, absolutely. Me and as are good. We're great. It's a real pleasure working with him, and half of this award is his by rights. Perfectly bland, perfectly polite. If a couple of blood vessels have burst behind his eyelids, no one will notice at that distance. OK, last question, number 35. Hi, Anthony. Congratulations again. Thanks. Crowley recognises this reporter, he thinks. A woman with short, pale hair and bright red lipstick. She's with the Guardian? Maybe. You've been pretty open about your orientation and your history. Openly queer cock-up, like I said. The crowd laughs, but red lipstick does not. I'm wondering if you have any messages for young fans of your show who've struggled or who are struggling with the same things. Their sexuality, addiction, trouble with the law. <laughs> You've been reading my resume. There's laughter again, but the reporter just watches him, a look on her face that isn't amused in the slightest. Fuck, deflecting with humour is all he's got, the only trick up his sleeve. What's he supposed to do now? I'd... <laughs> I'd tell them... OK... First off, I'd tell them don't listen to any of the last things I said. 
You aren't a cock-up. I reserve that title for myself alone. And secondly, here it is, Crowley is overtired and over-caffeinated and must be starting to unravel a bit. Because there's a moment, there's a moment, when he swears he sees a young idiot in black standing in the crowd, red hair gelled up into spikes, black t-shirt full of holes and safety pins, a young man who has no idea how much he's about to lose. But also, also a young man who doesn't know things aren't always lost forever. Crowley blinks, and he's gone. You know, I can't answer that in any sort of decent way right now. That's a hell of a question, and I'm running on fumes, and I think you deserve a better answer than I'd give you. Can I get back to you? You got a card? I'll get one for you, the press wrangler says, and Red Lipstick laughs at last. I'll take your answer off the air, she says. Crowley waves at everyone and fucks off with his trophy, heads down to the ballroom to make hideous small talk and stare at Avery Fell, with his heart between his teeth, for the rest of the bloody night. And he's still fucking here. Three weeks earlier. Here's the thing. The human body is pretty hard-wired for survival. Crowley should know he's done enough damage to his own, Things that probably should have killed him, or at least left some permanent marks. Nose-bleeding, stomach-pumping sort of things. But he's still here. You can go three weeks without food. Three bloody weeks. And wasn't there that flight attendant who fell out of a plane and lived? Probably was nothing but pulp at the end of it. But fuck it, she survived. People have lived through arrows to the head so it makes sense that Crowley would survive an arrow to the heart, even if he's bleeding everywhere, even if the arrow shaft is still sticking out of him. Crowley leaves Victoria Park on New Year's Day and is still alive. That's a hell of a thing. He walks away with a heart that's still beating, and he doesn't realise where he's walking until he's on the tube, and he's on the wrong line, the wrong fucking line, the line he used to take. He gets off at the next stop the moment that he can. Then he gets the fuck above ground and he calls bees. Oh, great, they're his emotional support asshole now. That's healthy. Where are you? is their first question. And Crowley realises he hasn't spoken a word since he said good... The word blackens like it's been seared in oil. Bye to Avery. I think I should go to a meeting, he says, throat so tight he wishes he was crying. He hears the immediate clicking of keys in the background, bees probably on their laptop looking at the nearest UKNA soiree. There's one in Chelsea, starts in 30 minutes, you think you can get there? Yes. Are you safe? Bees asks. Crowley wants to hang up, he wants to hang up and get back on the tube. He's got money. It'd be nothing at all to him, and it'd just be the one time, just tonight, just so he could feel anything other than this. He'd be on the straight and narrow again tomorrow, promise. Just the once wouldn't kill him. And surely it'd be better for his body than carrying this heartache around. Surely he deserves not to feel things for a few hours. It wouldn't be so bad. It would be easy. 
If he closes his eyes, Avery Fell is holding a gold coin to the light, looking at him like he's gold as well. Crowley breathes, mindfully. I'm safe, but could I stay on the phone with you? There's a slight pause before Bee speaks again. God, fuck, you're needy. Yes, fine. So he goes to the meeting in Chelsea and sits in a circle with the other sad bastards and when he gets home, Bees is waiting outside the door for him. Don't read too much into this, they say immediately, hoisting a paper bag on their hip. You're my meal ticket. It's in my best interest to keep you from fucking up your life. No one else would hire you. Crowley says seriously, and then fumbles his key as he's trying to unlock the door. He left me. There. He said it out loud, and he's still alive. The pain hasn't choked him to death, hasn't shut down his internal organs. Fuck his stupid, tenacious heart. He's going to have to live with this, isn't he? I brought you cheese, Bee says, and Crowley starts crying. But he gets the door open just the same, and he eats cheese and watches shite telly, and Bees doesn't once say they told him so, for which he is profoundly fucking grateful. He makes it through the night. For the next few days he lets his stupid body do what it needs to do to keep himself upright, lets it feed him and put him to bed, and take him on long, punishing two-hour jogs through London. Ugh, running... So it's come to this. For a few days he's a machine, the sole purpose of which is keeping Anthony Crowley alive and out of fucking jail. They should really pay him better for it. It's a tedious bloody business. He unplugs from most of the outside world, talks to Pepper over the phone and hates it, reads Love in the Time of Cholera and hates it, does yoga and hates it and only watches one of Azzy's films on Netflix. Just one. It's the Regency romance one, Gretna Green, and Az isn't even the main character, just a stuffy potential suitor for the leading lady. He doesn't get the girl in the end, but the cut of his coat is extremely nice, and there's a scene where he goes riding at his thighs. Shit, this was a bad, bad idea. Crowley's in the middle of a half-weeping and hideously depressing wank, film still playing in the background, when Bees calls him to tell him he's nominated for a television award. Couldn't have timed it better. Christ, that's the one viewers vote for. Fans. And there's no chance he's going to win it, absolutely no way, not with his history. But the fact that his name is even on that list... Is... is anyone else... Are you asking if he's nominated for anything? B sounds disgusted. He's not. Now, I'll leave you to whatever the fuck you've been doing. Crying or wanking off or whatever. You're a treasure, Crowley says, and means it. Because at least some things don't change. At least bees will never treat him as anything other than contemptible. There's a text from Az later that night, and his name on Crowley's phone makes him feel like jumping off a cliff. You soft bloody angel, Crowley thinks, shaking his head, hatefully affectionate. 
Can't deal with a little bit of crushing homophobia and trauma, eh? Just turn it inwards. It always worked for me. Just dissociate through your twenties. You'll be fine. He doesn't reply to Az's text, and he doesn't go online at all, won't risk seeing any headlines about New Year's Eve. And he doesn't see Avery, aside from perhaps one repeat watch of Gretna Green, whatever, shut up, until the red carpet outside the O2. Their gazes meet over a sea of people. Crowley's glad for his glasses, hopes Az can't see how wide his eyes have gone behind them. The other man looks good. He always looks good. He's wearing a suit that's nearly the exact blue of his eyes, and Crowley thanks God there's distance between them, or he'd probably be brought to his knees by the brightness. There's something about As when he's all buttoned up, which is most of the time. It makes Crowley twitchy, hungry to ruffle Az's hair, mess up his bow tie, untuck his shirt and get hands on his skin. You're staring, Bees says quietly in his ear, and Crowley remembers. He's not allowed to be in love with that man any more. Wasn't ever, really. Not in daylight, not in public, not where anyone could see. Keep this love in the palm of your hand and close it in your fist when it gets too bright. Use your other hand too if you need to. Keep it hidden. Crowley wonders if he hit himself hard in the chest, would it be enough to beat some sense into his heart? If he hit himself hard enough in the head, could he knock loose the memory of Az's lips on his tattoos, scars, fingers, ribs, mouth... So he wins a television award, only cries a bit. So he hugs Avery on his way up to the stage and can't stop himself from shaking. So he answers questions from reporters and avoids Avery's beautiful face at the after-party and goes home alone. Lying in bed that night, back arched and fucking his fist, the scent of Az's skin still in his mouth, Crowley realises it's been over a week and he's still alive. The last time he had an injury like this, he was in jail the next day. It makes a rather hysterical laugh well out of his throat. Anthony fucking Crowley, you are still alive. He starts counting by weeks after that. It's been two weeks and the ache hasn't killed you. Let's try for one more. Then he counts by months. It's been a month and you haven't dropped off the edge of the world. See if you can make it to season four. Fuck's sake, it's a lot of effort, this staying alive business. But inch by inch, hour by hour, Crowley does. Might not deserve to. He certainly doesn't feel like it some days. But he does. And he meets up with Anathema when she's in town, lets himself get dragged to weird crystals and granola cafes where they drink tea that tastes like compost and Anathema talks about whales. And he goes to a couple of shows by himself and doesn't bring anyone home with him, doesn't have the energy to pull anyone right now, and he's such a mess that it's all the better. He even goes to the odd meeting, has tea afterwards with this lovely mum named Vesters, who used to be big in the punk rock scene. They make plans to go to a concert sometime. A week before he has to fly to Belfast and start filming the first episode, the BAFTA nominations come out, 
and Crowley, Crowley's name, it's, he's on the, the, he can't read the nominees without panicking. Bees, he says desperately, needing someone to tell him he's just hallucinating. I'll be looking for a pay rise if you win this one. Fuck, 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 fuck. A BAFTA? This is mad. I've had a call from the Guardian and a call from the Telegraph and a few dozen emails from sites that already want interviews with you. Breathe into a paper bag and call me back. I'll take a look at your schedule. But this is like the BAFTAs. That was a real thing. That's like my dad has a BAFTA. Judy Dench has a BAFTA. Yes, I'm aware, and in a month's time you will as well. Fuck off, Crowley thinks he might throw up. His phone buzzes with an incoming text, and he pulls it back from his ear to look at it. It's from Avery, and Crowley still hasn't responded to anything the man sent since New Year's, because he can't, right? If he does, it'll be a matter of time before he's asking him to dinner, asking him how he's doing, telling him how he misses him like he would miss both kidneys. I'm so happy for you. Congratulations on the nomination. Crowley stares at the message. While he's staring, As sends another one. I'm sure you're busy, but if you have a chance to call me, I'd really like to speak with you. Crowley? Bees is shouting on the phone at him. Crowley thumps himself once in the chest. Get that heart beating properly again. And lifts the phone back to his ear. He's nominated for a BAFTA. And somehow, against all odds, he's still alive. If there's trouble, as glances between his script and Crowley's face, the rest of the cast is silent, watching them with tightly wound attention. Crowley feels a dozen pairs of eyes on his face. Get a message to me, he reads. Wherever you are, I'll come to you. He meets as his eyes across the table and wishes he had his sunglasses on. I'll find you. Do you believe me? I do. Crowley snorts, but it's fond. <laughs> You do? Simple as that, eh? Thought you were losing faith, priest. Not in you. On the other side of the room, he hears Anathema let out an exaggeratedly dreamy sigh. He rolls his eyes at her, and she rolls her eyes back. We'll have a bit of a look between you then, before As leaves, Michael's saying. You know the look. Good work. Anyone have questions? When are we going to get the rest of the season's scripts? Newt asks. Michael glances at Uriel. The new head writer is sitting in the back corner of the room, listening to the reading with her head tilted back and her eyes closed. Before each episode, she says, as needed. As needed? Newt repeats. As needed. OK, Anathema, you're up. Michael moves on to the next scene, and Crowley stops looking at Az, mostly. He doesn't have to make intense, longing eye contact with him when they aren't bloody acting. 
Crowley can limit himself to the occasional sidelong glance when they're not on set, can be satisfied with the brief study of Az's head as it's bent over his script, the pale pink scalp against his blonde white hair. Hair that's impossibly soft. Hair that Crowley clenched in his fingers while they kissed. Az looks up at him and Crowley drops his eyes to his script. They haven't said a word to each other yet, besides a polite good morning before the table reads. Crowley wants to claw his own face off. It's over. Remember that. The man said it's over, so back the fuck off. When they finally break for the day, Crowley finds Avery waiting for him outside the conference room after everyone else has left. It's a bit of a shock. Crowley's body is a machine made for keeping him alive, and now it's all for nothing, because here is Avery Fell, standing right in front of him. Here he bloody is, just a few feet away from Crowley, and Crowley's open mouth and Crowley's starving hands. He could just reach out and have the man in his arms. It would be easy, no effort at all. How are you? As asks, swallowing around the last word as his voice goes all froggy. I'm good. Yeah, I'm... Yep. Surely talking has never been this difficult before. Crowley gets paid to do it. He should be used to it by now. Good. How are you? I'm well. As runs a hand through his hair, and Crowley wishes he was the man's head at least the tips of his fingers. Um, congratulations again. I hadn't had the chance to say it personally. No worries. Got your texts. Crowley fidgets with the fringe on his scarf, shifts from one foot to the other. I was hoping I might talk to you. There's something... Sure, go ahead. Crowley hates himself even as he says it. Self-preservation, he repeats, in a voice that sounds like Pepper's. You get this man alone, you pour some wine, you watch him eat something delicious, lick his lips, and it's curtains. Curtains, for you. Something flickers across Az's face. Crowley's never seen that expression before, so he has no idea what it means. All right, um, Tracy and I are... <clears throat> Separating. That's not at all what Crowley was expecting to hear. Have separated, as amends. I wanted to tell you, but, but Crowley wouldn't talk to him. There wasn't a chance. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Keep talking. Say something. Well, I've been so busy. Yes. Well, um... We're releasing an official statement this week, but I wanted you to know first. Why? Crowley wants to ask. Why the fuck should I know first? Is Trace okay? Yes, she is. She's, she's doing very well. I'll give her a call when I get home. Let her know I'm thinking about her. Yes, but... Anthony. Maybe the two of you can work it out. Who knows? His voice sounds ugly, cold, like a stranger speaking through his throat. One day, never say never. 
The look on Azzy's face shifts to a wretched blankness. He nods. Yes, of course. Curly smiles at him. It feels like dry ice against his lips, like any second they're going to start smoking. Well, you take care of yourself. I'll see you tomorrow. He takes his obliterated heart in his hand and lays it gently down on the ground by Avery's feet. There, take it. All right, Az says softly. Crowley tries to ignore the soft, injured expression on the other man's face as he turns away, tries to ignore the why, why, why that still leaks like blood from his pores. Why did she leave, or why did you leave her? Was it mutual? Why was it mutual? What made this happen now of all times, when it's too late, too late? I'm proud of you, Pepper tells him on the phone that night. Oh, yeah. Crowley's only half listening to her, puttering around the kitchen of his rental suite, trying to force himself to eat something. It's been three months, and look at you, drawing on healthy coping skills, asking for help when you need it. Wow, it only took me, what, nearly fifty years to figure out how to be a semi-functional adult person? You may not believe this, but it takes many people longer than fifty years to reach that point. If they ever do, I feel so much better now. I realise you use sarcasm when you're uncomfortable, but Anthony, you're allowed to be proud of yourself. Crowley is silent. What do you think would happen, Pepper asks, if you acknowledged that you'd done something well? I... Fuck this entire conversation, thank you so much. Crowley was distracted by the contents of his fridge. Should never have let things get this far. Well, I don't know. You must. There must be some reason you're so terrified of it. He and Trace have split. There, that's a juicy piece of something. That ought to get Pepper on a different track. Ah. Pepper pauses. A pause that goes much too long and is probably intentionally meant to make Crowley go insane. How do you feel about that? Well, I feel, well, I don't know, something bad. All in my chest and neck and... Crowley holds out his hands, searches them for trembling. Hands, he finishes. Can you give it a name? Best guess? Maybe... Panic? That's what I thought you'd say. Oh, great. She's psychic now as well. Why is that? Because there are no barriers anymore, are there? Besides the ones you put up yourself. Crowley gives up looking for food and tries to pull out all his hair instead. But that's why well, it should be a good thing. Why in the name of fuck would I... What's more frightening than having a choice? So, Pepper's probably fired, for real this time. This time, Crowley means it. If there's trouble, as his voice is soft and hesitant, get a message to me. It's one thing to read a scene like this in a brightly lit conference room. 
It's another to read it in the forest, lantern-lit and close together, breath coming in frozen gusts. It's another to act it out when you're standing near enough to touch. Wherever you are, I'll come to you. Gorgeous Avery Fell in his shabby woolen cloak gives a slight nod. It's a halting sort of thing, like a bird leaving its nest. It makes Crowley want to reach out and take Az's chin in his hand, hold his face steady, stop his teeth from chattering, make him see. So he does. Bloody buggering fuck. This is not in the script. This is not in the script. But it's too late. The cameras are still rolling and Crowley is still touching Az's face. I'll find you. Do you believe me? I do. <laughs> you too. Simple as that, eh? Michael will call cut any second now. She has to. Thought you were losing faith, priest. Not as stutters the line, swallows. N not in you. Crowley nods then, drops his hand, still burning with the heat of Az's skin. It'll be okay. It will be. They'll just take the scene again. It's fine. The cameras keep rolling, so Crowley hoists his pack of supplies on his shoulder, looks at Avery like he's seeing him for the last time. Because he might be. Who knows what's happening in the scripts? This might be their last scene together this season. Might be their last scene together, period. Both of their characters might die of the plague. They've got no way of knowing. Az must be thinking the same thing, because his eyes are shining. Real tears. In episode one. Oh, that bastard. Cut! Michael calls at last. Sorry, Mike. Crowley immediately looks away from his co-star, searches for Michael beneath the bright lights. Don't know what I was thinking with that. Shouldn't have... I loved it. Brilliant. We'll go again for coverage, but I want you to do the same thing, OK? That touch to the face. Thanks, guys. As is wiping his eyes, and the makeup bloke rushes over to powder his face dry. Crowley waits until Avery has his eyes closed before staring at him. He used to be better at hiding this, he knows it. But after everything that's happened, his body feels like one exposed wire and his self-control is basically done for. He's never going to touch Avery again, unless cameras are rolling in the vicinity, so at least he can look, steal glances. Love the other man in sips of whiskey, in bites of glass. When Az opens his eyes again, Crowley's already looking away. He calls it self-preservation when it feels a good deal less healthy than that. The third season starts to air midway through the filming of season four, and the cast gets booked for watch parties when it doesn't conflict with shooting. The horsemen insisted on it. Gotta keep that good publicity going. Crowley and Anathema go together to the premiere in Belfast and they answer questions about filming during the ad breaks and Crowley feels more like a celebrity than he ever has. The first seasons were fairly popular, but it wasn't like this. 
The bar is packed and people are in costume, cheering during fight scenes, gasping during a particularly dramatic turn. The first appearance of Cumberbatch gets a wave of applause that's thunderous. For all his antisocial tendencies, Crowley has a pretty decent time. Afterwards, an older fellow comes up to him, tells him that Crowley inspired him to finally come out at 67 years old. Crowley hugs him and signs his T-shirt and swears that the tightness in his throat is from shouting too much on camera. Couldn't possibly be from anything else. He's busy during the airing of the next episode, off filming in Iceland, but he's free for the one after that, and, as it happens, so is Avery. That's fine. It is. They can be adults about this. They still work together. Crowley doesn't even think about it until he's sitting at the bar and the show has started playing. It's episode three. It's the fucking kiss. The audience loves it, and Crowley grins and winks at them and tries not to notice the way Az's face goes very still and very pink. When there's an ad break, the first audience question is from a bloke who's clearly had a bit too much to drink, weaving as he asks it. So, Avery, is that scene the reason you're single now? The audience goes silent, as well they fucking should. Crowley wants to bite out something extremely vulgar, ask this prick what the hell business it is of his. But then he realises that Az isn't saying anything. He's opened his mouth, but no words are coming out. And he's flushed and lovely and... Not the point. Focus up, Antony. And any second now, the silence will have gone on too long to be laughed off, and... Fuck. Fuck. What can I say? Crowley leans into his mic, raising his eyebrows. One kiss from me and you're ruined for life. Ladies, lock up your husbands. He grins at Az like he isn't a fucking nightmare of love for him, like he doesn't want to bleed out on the floor and draw hearts in the mess he leaves. Finally, finally, Az smiles back. He's right. The audience laughs. Ha ha, what a brilliant fucking joke. I was a changed man after that scene. Crowley has perfected the art of biting down on his cheek as hard as he can while grinning. His mouth could be filling with blood right now, and no one would have a clue. Sorry, Angel, should have warned you about my powers. As nods in agreement. Yes, you should have. It's too late now. Everything else is just a pale imitation. The awkward moment passes and the episode resumes, and Avery doesn't speak to him for the rest of the evening. They take separate cars back to the hotel, and the next day Crowley flies into London with Anathema and Michael and assorted others to get ready for the BAFTAs. The next two days are a blur, clichéd as it might sound, it's true. He was fitted for a suit before he went off to film, and it fits him, thank Christ, and it's got the loveliest dark blue satin lining. He does black on black on black, as usual, but with a silvery scarf around his neck, and wingtip shoes polished so brightly they shine with the flash of each camera. He takes bees as his date again, poor thing, and poses on the red carpet, poses, him, 
and feels thirty years younger. You were a star once, do you remember? Did you think there was any hope of getting back into that black sky, of being welcomed into your old familiar constellation? Did you think that anyone would ever call your name and want your picture again? Were you crying? Bees asks, horrified. No, shut up. Avery's filming in Ireland with a guest director, and that's maybe for the best. He's here with Crowley anyway, a perpetual ghost kissing the back of Crowley's neck. As Crowley navigates the reporters and photographers, he wonders what would have happened if he had chosen to live as his kind of life, if he hadn't fallen the way he did, so far and so fast, all those years ago. He could be in the exact same place as his co-star, terrified of putting a toe out of line for fear the industry would turn on him, and he likes to think he would have just burned the world to ashes with the power of his love, would have said, fuck everyone, I choose you. But who knows? Things could have been different. There's another life I could have had, but I'm having this one. So with a ghost pressed up against his back, arms wound around his shoulders like a shawl, Crowley walks the red carpet. He tries not to stare too much at Olivia Coleman, a spectacular failure, he's a rabid fan. And he tries not to fall in love with Idris Elba, another failure, there is not a more perfect-looking human. And when they play the nominees' clips later in the show, it's like he's watching someone else. He doesn't recognise that man. He does, though. He does. Recognises the longing that hits right at the lip of him, almost spilling over, but not enough that he can't play it off as great acting. Which is bullshit, frankly. The best acting of his life he's doing right now, and no one even cares, no one even notices. And the BAFTA goes to... Anthony J. Crowley for Warlock. It's even more of a blur after that. Anathema and Newton and Michael have their arms all over him, and Bees even gives him an uncharacteristic kiss on the cheek. Later, he'll think of the walk from his seat to the stage and be amazed that he wasn't floating halfway to the ceiling or slithering across the floor. He has no idea where his edges are, no concept of his limbs, might just be held together by sweat and spite and very tight trousers. Later, he'll watch back the speech he makes like he's watching footage of a newly found planet. Then it's the green room, then it's photographs and Benedict Cumberbatch shaking his hand and a glass of champagne and the media circus all over again. What do you think your dad will have to say about your win? Did he offer any advice before the ceremony? <laughs> That'd be a fine thing. His dad had said a gruff, expect you're feeling pleased with yourself, after the nominations came out, but that was the extent of it. His mum had more of an opinion about the television award. Voted on by fans, is it? Not anyone in the industry? A sort of mass appeal thing, then? Ah. Crowley smiles so tightly it might snap. Oh, I think they'll be glad that I'm finally putting all their tuition money to good use. But seriously, I was so lucky to grow up in a creative family. Such a big part of this award is down to them, and I can't tell you what that means to be carrying on their legacy. 
there. Use a bunch of words to say absolutely nothing. It's an art form. The after party is at the Savoy. Everyone keeps patting Crowley's back and handing him champagne. Maybe he has one too many. Or maybe he should have eaten something more than coffee today. Or maybe it's the ghost at the back of his neck. Or maybe it's the mix of sleeplessness and adrenaline and champagne and the perfect smiles of the people around him, some of them who probably remember when no one would hire him, who probably called him all sorts of lovely slurs when not in polite company. Who knows if there's an exact cause? All Crowley knows is that things get a bit foggy, and when his driver drops him at home, he stumbles into his apartment and makes a stupid, stupid fucking phone call. His one saving grace is that there's no answer. Or maybe that's actually worse. If Az had picked up, he might have taken pity on Crowley, ended the call, told him to ring back the next morning when he was sober. But there's no reasoning with voicemail. Number 39. Congratulations, Anthony. I know you've brought your manager as your date tonight, but I'm wondering what your love life's like. There's a bit of laughter. Oh, I see. Only there were some photos about a year ago of yourself and the musician Matt Noble, wondering if the two of you have kept in touch at all, or if any of our readers still have a shot. Crowley barks out a laugh against his will. <laughs> well, that's extremely flattering. I regret to inform your readers that I've given up on romance and I'm committing myself fully to my craft. Also, juicing. Just got a magic bullet. Life-changing stuff. Don't have time for much else. And no, Matt and I are not still in touch. Expect he's gone and run off with Harry Styles or something. Hiya. It's me. You're probably asleep. Should be asleep. Shouldn't be calling you. Won a BAFTA. Don't know if you heard. Doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but... Crowley's halfway falling off the sofa, phone pressed against his ear, one shoe still on. I'm sorry, we didn't say goodbye to you after the show at the bar. I'm sorry for everything, all of it, whatever I did. I love you. So stupid, I know, and I'm sorry. I still love you. I'm trying to stop, and I will. I just needed to tell you that. I'll be fine. You'll be fine. I just miss you. He won't remember all of this message, just bits and pieces of it the next morning when Az calls him and calls him and Crowley doesn't answer. The phone drops from his hand then, or maybe he hangs up, or maybe he falls off the couch and lies on the floor until he falls asleep. Whatever happens, Crowley wakes up the next morning with a twisted neck and a bad taste in his mouth and a slowly creeping horror that he made a phone call he shouldn't have. Whatever happens, he and Avery don't see each other for almost two months. Number 20. Congratulations, Anthony. It's red lipstick again. Crowley makes an apologetic face. Ah, you remember me. Wondering if you've had any thoughts about my last question. Uh, jog my memory, would you? Any words of advice for fans of yours who relate to some of your struggles? 
Crowley breathes out slowly. He still has her card, still intends to answer her. But some answers matter, right? Can't all be using a bunch of words to say absolutely nothing. Can I have one more free pass? The last one, I swear. I want to write something up, make it properly thoughtful. The reporters laugh, and Red Lipstick raises an eyebrow. Well, as long as it's properly thoughtful. For two months, Crowley films scenes without Avery. For two months, he's given scraps of the script, the pieces that only involve him directly, nothing of the rest of the world. Christ, he has no idea where as is, and no idea whether they'll act opposite each other ever again. He didn't actually think it would be the last time they acted together in that forest. Not actually. Whatever happens in Warlock, there will be premieres and award shows and publicity to do. It's not like he won't see as again. But if Uriel kills one of them off, that would be it for most of their time together. Which is fine. Crowley has to believe that. Crowley has to tell himself that despite certain drunken voicemails, he's getting better, healing by inches. As doesn't call him, and Crowley doesn't call either. Tries not to even think about the night of the BAFTAs. What a fucking mistake. And he'd been doing so well, too. He'd been processing and practising self-care and using healthy coping strategies whatever the hell Pepper would say. Then suddenly there's a bit of champagne and exhaustion in him and he has to vomit his useless longing all over Avery's spotless shoes. Do you want to go to New York? Bees asks on the phone from London. Crowley always wants to go to New York. He particularly wants to go when he's freezing his ass off in Iceland. Why? For the season finale watch-along. I've booked the flights already. Michael wants you there. Crowley's not going to argue with them, and definitely not about this. Just me? Er, uh, no. And that answers Crowley's next question as well. Everyone I love, they're in this room. Crowley's sitting on stage, off to the side of a giant projector screen, as is in the seat next to him, close enough to touch, close enough to smell. And fuck, that's a problem. Must be a new cologne. He never used to have this hint of vetiver about him. Crowley wants to look at him. He can't, so he just inhales deeply. When the episode ends, there's a bit of a Q&A, some time to talk to fans who brought photos to sign. Are you going to end up together? A girl asks Crowley as he writes a heartfelt message on her Wizard School, the movie, poster. For a second, he almost passes out. Oh, right, he's in a television show. Dunno, wish I could tell you, but they barely let us read the scripts for the next episode. What do you think? I hope that you do, but... The girl shrugs. Probably not, right? Maybe we're both in for a surprise. She smiles shyly at him, and he smiles back. As he turns his head, he sees Avery watching him, coming back to their table with another glass of wine. Crowley's on lemonade just now. No alcohol for him when he's one around Avery, or two has potential access to a phone.
You're very good with them. Who? Her? Fans. Avery's voice is quiet, his gaze fluttering. It's like he's afraid that if he makes eye contact or speaks too loudly, Crowley might bolt. Do you know he bloody might? So are you. That's very kind of you, but you make it seem easy. I rather like watching you. As takes a sharp breath in. That is... that sounded rather awkward. Ah, it's fine. What I meant was, you seem to enjoy yourself, for the most part, and they love you. Crowley takes that compliment, tosses it from hand to hand, unable to let it settle anywhere, unsure whether he wants it. Well, thanks. They're a good lot. Would you like to share a taxi after this is done? The studio booked them rooms in the same hotel, same floor even. Crowley's been trying to repress that knowledge. Sure, Angel, he says without thinking, and pretends not to notice Avery flinch. So they do. They make uncomfortable small talk on the ride back to the hotel, while the back seat of the taxi swims in vetiver and orange blossom. Crowley knows his jacket is going to smell like ass for the rest of his life. He's not washing it ever again. Are you in the city long? As asks as they walk through the lobby, taking the elevator up to the 15th floor. Two days, then I'm back in Belfast. You? I have almost a week before they need me. Lucky bastard. Let's have breakfast tomorrow. Let's have lunch. Go to a museum. Go to a bookstore. You could tell me all the clever things you know as we walk around Central Park. I could make you laugh and buy you cheesecake. We could have a picnic. I could take your hand, trace your lifeline with my tongue like it was a river. Stop it. Yes, I suppose I am. Have fun while you can. They reach Avery's room first, nod a tilting goodnight at each other before Crowley continues down the hall. But he makes the mistake of looking back. There's no excuse. He can tell himself all he likes that it was to make sure Az got into his room okay. He can tell himself these friendly little lies. But the truth is a hungry, feral thing. I just wanted to look at you. In the dark and open doorway, Avery's looking back at him. Crowley moves without thinking, falls like a stage light, glass everywhere. He walks forward and is kissing as before the door has even been pulled shut. Yes, yes, as gasps, pulling him inside, slamming the door so he can push Crowley up against it. Their hands are frantic, and Az tastes delicious and familiar, and Crowley doesn't ever want to stop kissing him. Get this, get this off! Az's voice is broken against Crowley's mouth, and he's pulling Crowley's shirt out of his trousers, fisting hands in the fabric. Crowley tugs at his blonde hair, kissing him, kissing him. Fuck! Avery stutters against the line of Crowley's jaw. Oh, God, I want you. Yeah, so damn much. I can't. Please, let me. 
as his hands are at Crowley's belt, yanking it open, fumbling with his zipper, shoving trousers and pants down his thighs before dropping to his knees. Oh, fucking Christ, Angel, you please. Oh, God. As his mouth is vicious on Crowley's stomach, on his hip bones, on the trail of hair below his navel. Crowley is hard and dripping already. Just the thought of Avery's mouth is almost enough to end this before it starts. If he so much as breathes on Crowley's cock. I've been thinking about this, as says between darts of his tongue against Crowley's overheated skin. About you, I can't stop. I've wanted it so badly, it's all I can think about. Fuck. Crowley slides his hand into Az's hair and it's soft, so soft. And when he imagined it, and he did imagine it, it was always soft. Stop. Crowley's voice is almost inaudible. He pulls his hand out of Avery's hair and his palms scream at him. Stop, he says louder. Az stops immediately. He looks up. Mouth open, lips wet. His eyelashes are golden, and Crowley is a wreck for him, has a curved spine from carrying around the weight of this love. But... What... what is it? As is breathing fast, a look of growing confusion on his face. His eyes are so wide and blue and foggy with lust that Crowley almost says, Fuck it, and takes him by the hair again. But... You're, um, not sober. As blinks, then he huffs out a little laugh. <laughs> fine. Yeah, well, I'm not fine. Fuck. What is he fucking doing? You want him. He's here. Just reach the fuck out. I can't. You can't. I can't do this. Slowly, the meaning of the words seem to register. Avery drops his hands from Crowley's hips, shifts back onto his knees, gets to his feet, looks everywhere in the room but Crowley's face. But your... your message, As says quietly. Well, that was... you know what that was. Crowley frantically dresses, sips, buckles his belt, keep moving, keep moving... A mistake. A mistake? Not that bit about how I feel. That's well, I'm working on it, yeah? But mm, I can't. This is going to hurt more than lit cigarettes. Crowley can already tell. Be with you. As is absolutely frozen still. Could be a lovely statue in a dark museum. And Crowley can't stop twitching, shaking, moving so much he's blurry. Oh, I can't. Not like this. Not how it was. I'm... Anthony. I'd never ask you to change your life. Never. But I... I love you. And I can't... hide. It hurts too much. Every word is a shovelful of earth raining down on him... And all he wants in the world is to touch Az again, kiss him, make this okay. I can't pretend I'm not in love with you when you're fucking me. 
I can't watch you leave before it's light out. I'm so sorry. Breath in Avery's chest shatters out of him like a sob. You don't have to be sorry. Crowley's taking a step forward, reaches out before he realises what he's doing. He pulls his hand back quickly. You... You're fucking wonderful. This would be so much easier if you weren't. What if I try? I'm not going to push you as. I'd never do that. And I'd never take this choice from you, but... Breathe mindfully, you absolute fuckwit. I wouldn't survive it. That that way it was. I, I wouldn't. As doesn't say anything. He clutches his shoulders like he's holding himself together. I'm going to go. Take care of yourself, all right? I'll see you. As still doesn't say anything, so Crowley leaves. And when he gets to his room, he sinks to the floor beside his bed and covers his face with his hands and doesn't move for a long, long time. And it's another month before they see each other again. The very last episode, the season four finale, hey, look at that, they all made it. It's a battle scene, an entire village taking up arms against the Inquisition, pitchforks and shovels against swords and shields and arrows. It takes days to film, and Crowley's only needed for the last half of it, just long enough to see Avery through the carnage, save his life, and then immediately get shot through with arrows. Even though they're filming, his first glimpse of As in weeks feels like a victory. He can't help the stupid expression on his face, which is exactly what Michael wants. They take the reunion scene over and over again. Crowley gets to stare into Avery's eyes and soak up the shimmer of emotions, disbelief to surprise to gratitude to terror. Gets to fall forward into Avery's arms, swoon like a romantic heroine, his face lined black with sweat and smoke and blood. He's not dead, no worries there, he'll be back for next season apparently, although he's not got a clue how he survives this. Probably magic, right? Something like that. And that's a wrap on season four, Michael shouts, and there's a wave of applause, crew and cast and dozens of extras cheering. Crowley's still held tight in Az's arms, their chests pressed against each other. Even with the fake arrows sticking out of his back and his muscles aching from the week of shooting, Crowley is suddenly happy. He can't help it. He smiles, smiles at Avery with the whole tangled yarn of their history trailing behind him, still wrapped around his throat, but a bit looser now, not cutting off the air quite so much. As smiles back. As he does, tears spill down his face. They leave tracks in his grimy makeup, and Crowley can almost taste them in his mouth, the sea salt of his skin. Soft bloody angel, he murmurs. As nods, almost laughing and almost crying in equal measure. Foul fiend! His hands clench compulsively on Crowley's waist. The sky above them is wide and grey and clean, and the moment doesn't want to end. Maybe there's a world in which it doesn't, where some great benevolent god presses pause 
and let Crowley linger in this warmth for a century or so. But in the world they live in, Wardrobe comes over to help Crowley with the arrows, and Michael's shouting something at a PA, and As lets him go. Face shining, As lets him go. They step away from each other, two people on opposite sides of a river, lighting and grips collecting gear, and extras trying to find out where they're supposed to go to get their checks, and sound coming to take the microphones. People pass endlessly between them, swift as water. But even on their distant shores, Crowley and Az don't stop looking at each other. It feels like an ending. Maybe it is one. Not a happy ending, but not a bad one either. It's like dropping a match once it's burned right down to your fingertips. You can only hold it for so long. Crowley feels the bright, blistering pain of it and wants to suck his fingers into his mouth. But how can you regret something that gave off so much light? You can't. Avery smiles at him, and Crowley doesn't regret anything. And he goes out with Anathema and a few other crew members for drinks that night, laughs around the tightness in his chest, pretends there aren't any ghosts pressing their lips to his bared throat. And when he gets back to his hotel room that night, he sends an email. Excerpt from Anthony Crowley, Out of the Shadows, Under the Spotlight, by Amy Nicholson, The Guardian. I'd never met Anthony Crowley until he won a National Television Award. Of course I'd seen his films. Growing up, he was all over my television screen, and I dare say my mum had a bit of a crush. Of course, now he's Anthony Crowley, BAFTA winner, and no one will forget that any time soon. He's charming as all hell in person, though the self-deprecation can feel a bit painful. You get the impression that he's atoning for something. Perhaps he thinks that downplaying his accomplishments is one of the roads towards forgiveness. But watching him answer questions, I had to ask, forgiveness for what? I happen to know many people with a deep abiding appreciation for the work of Mr Crowley. This appreciation stems from more than just his brilliant acting, and he is brilliant, there's no denying that. But fans of his appreciate something else as well. They appreciate the chance to see themselves, with all their weaknesses and strengths, reflected openly in a public figure. Crowley references his time in rehab, makes comments about his therapist, his sexuality, his trouble with the law. And while he often uses these experiences as skewers on which to roast himself, the sheer fact that they're being talked about by the lead in an immensely popular television series is remarkable. I asked Crowley the night of the television awards what he would say to a young person who was experiencing some of the same challenges he did. With characteristic unpredictability, he asked if he could get back to me. I asked him the same question after his win at the BAFTAs. I was given the same answer. Well, true to his word, Crowley has got back to me. And this is what he wants to say, what he'd like you, any of you who might need these words, to hear. First off, I'm not a poet or anything. They give me the lines, I don't write them. So this isn't going to be profound or even all that smart. But you asked, and I said I'd answer. 
It's going to be hard. I'll tell you that from the start. However hard you think it's going to be, I promise you it'll be worse. And you're going to think you have to do it alone. But you don't, and you can't. People will want to help you. People will want to be there when you're ready for them. You might not find them right away, but you'll find them. Wherever you are on that path, wherever you're headed, just remember that you won't be walking it forever. And those first steps, first loves, first heartaches, first mistakes, whatever, they don't have to define all the years of your life. A day will come when you can let it go. You might not think so now, but that day will come. Doesn't mean you don't still carry a part of it with you, but you're going to wake up one day and realise it's lighter. That day will come, whatever you're carrying. I'm mixing metaphors, aren't I? Like I said, not a poet. Anyway, whoever you are, I want you to know that I'm proud of you. If you're queer and alive in this fucking world, sorry, am I allowed to swear? You can edit this, whatever. I'm going to say fucking. If you're queer and alive in this fucking world, I'm proud of you. So, there you have it. There's a rap party at the end of season four. It's at the same posh London club, and Crowley goes because he has to, and ignores the canapes and holds up the bar. Old habits die hard, and why mess with a good thing and all that? He's brought a date this time, but Bees prefers to avoid his company when they can help it, and is hanging around the appetizers, getting their money's worth. Crowley's drinking soda water with lime, and he's bored to tears by it. But there's still a part of him that can't be tipsy around Avery Fell, still a part of him that's cringing and wretched and starving, a part that might creep out of the darkness and catch fire and say, stupid bullshit nonsense in Az's direction. Might ask for another chance, might drop to his knees and beg. So, Crowley is clinging to his self-respect like he's hanging from the edge of a cliff by his fingernails, and he's hiding in the darkness and being antisocial and waiting for the inevitable. Having fun? Anathema asks, silently appearing beside him. Loads. Crowley gives her a flat look, and she smiles at him like he's entertaining. Sweet, even. Unbloody believable. Would you... Don't. Crowley cuts her off before she can finish, holds his palm up in self-defence. She promptly smacks it out of the way. I wasn't even going to ask, you prick. My fragile ego can't handle another rejection, though I know how much you love these sick beats. Said beats with a Z. Don't know if you caught that. Um, Crowley's briefly distracted and distraught by the opening strains of Wonderwall. Good for you. Well done. He scans the crowd for any sight of a beige silk coat and matching cravat. As brought Tracy to the party, which only got a few raised eyebrows. It's clear they're still great friends, and Tracy cornered Crowley early in the evening for several overly enthusiastic hugs. He didn't mind so much since it was Trace. Her bright red hair stands out like a beacon even in the dim lighting, and she's currently standing at the edge of the dance floor talking to... Fuck him. Is that Shadwell? 
The scruffy Scottish key grip cleans up nicely, to Crowley's complete shock. What I was going to ask you before you got all self-centred and defensive was about your friend. She nodded her head towards Bees, a besuited smudge by the veggie tray. Bees? What about them? Anathema tosses her hair, tries to look extremely cool and disaffected, but Crowley has been trying to look cool and disaffected the longer than Anathema's been alive. He can spot the cracks immediately. If one were going to, say, buy them a drink? Why, Anathema device! Crowley raises an eyebrow at her, and she raises one right back. What? You sly devil! This was unexpected. Crowley thought that maybe there was something happening with her and Newt, but apparently he was mistaken. I have no idea what you're implying. Thought they looked lonely, standing over there. I bet you did. You're awful, and I don't know why I talk to you. She makes a big production out of turning away, starting to flounce off. Pineapple and soda water as their usual, no alcohol. That earns him at least a backward glance. Was that so hard? Don't break any hearts now, Device. Worry about your own heart, Anthony. I haven't got one. Don't you read the papers? Anathema shakes her head. This time she really does walk away, but he's almost certain he hears her mutter, Good thing you're pretty, as she goes. He watches her for a bit, lets himself fade back into the darkness. It doesn't feel as necessary as it used to, but it's still his security blanket. He sips his drink, waits for Wonderwall to end, wondering what fresh hell the DJ has lined up for them next. It's some soft bluegrass thing, as it turns out. A slow song, one that's vaguely familiar. Would you like to dance? Crowley turns, almost in slow motion, to see a beige silk coat and cravat standing just to his left, a man who gave his jacket away and soaked up half a glass of wine from Crowley's shirt the night they met. Crowley, suddenly, like a cannon firing, recognises the song that's playing. Romantic nonsense. His body is warm, swaying against Avery's in the kitchen. The worst sort of cliché. The thing is... Avery takes a breath. The thing is... He's shaking, hands clenched together, but he doesn't drop his eyes, doesn't stop looking at Crowley. I'm rather in love with you. Crowley tries to respond, tries to laugh it off or deny it, tries to say, but you're not, that's not true. But the words won't come. I'm in love with you. Avery's eyes shine with tears. Fuck, he's so soft. And the voice in Crowley's head wants to be derisive. It is the absolute opposite. My darling. If you knew me back then, Crowley starts, and Avery's eyes are pale with anger. I know you now. I have loved you for so long, so stupidly, impossibly long. I love your kindness, and I love your courage, and I'm so, so sorry that I couldn't be as brave as you from the start.' 
I'm so sorry that I made you feel. Don't apologise. Crowley finds words at fucking last. You haven't. I have. I made you feel like you weren't enough. But you see, it was me. I wasn't. As is holding out his hand in a lamplit cottage. Come to bed with me, if you like. And, oh, Crowley's heart will not stop beating. Avery. Crowley tries to keep his voice down, but no one is looking at them. No one can hear what they're saying. But I am now, As says, lifting his chin. I am. Oh, I see we have a sceptic on our hands. And warm fingers against Crowley's neck, a gold coin in Avery's palm, a shine like the new moon. If I'm too late... For the first time, Avery's soft, affectionate expression shifts. His face goes grey, and Crowley feels the urge to comfort, to calm and pet and adore, welling up in what's left of his heart. My dear, I understand, and I won't be angry, and I won't expect anything from you. If I've ruined this, if you can't ever trust me again, they'll see us. Crowley whispers, trying to pretend the shadows around him aren't getting blurrier, water running down the canvas of his self-control. Everyone will. I know. A thermos of tea, then. Sometimes it's nice to have someone make it for you. And the first halting flight of Crowley's heart from an eerie. You told me you wouldn't take the choice from me. And you never did. You did everything you could to protect me. Not enough, Crowley wants to say. I never did enough. I fell the fuck in love with you and I wanted you and I pulled the whole thing apart at the stitches. But as it happens, I'm choosing you, if I still can, if you'll have me. Crowley can barely make out Avery's face behind the shine of tears in his own eyes. He tries to say something, but it comes out a garbled mess, and the sound makes Avery's mouth tremble. I love you, Antony. I love you. Everyone I love, they're in this room. I have loved you for, for ages, and was too stupid and frightened to tell you. What happened to your coat? But I will tell you every day, every hour, if you like, if you let me. Would you dance with me? I gave it away. Yes, Crowley says. Something wet is running down his face. Avery reaches out for his hand, and their palms fit together like harmony, like a warm and perfect fifth. Even if both their hands are shaking, the music is steady. As tugs Crowley gently towards him and then leads him out of the darkness and onto the dance floor, and there are lights, lights shining down on them. That soft bluegrass song is still playing when they've reached the centre of the floor, and if Crowley could see through the tears, he'd see Anathema staring at them with both hands lifted to her heart, and he'd see bees looking extremely red-faced and desperately blinking their eyes. And he'd see Tracy reaching out for Shadwell's shoulder, and Newton grinning like an idiot, and Michael frozen with a drink halfway to her lips. 
but he can't see any of this. He only sees Avery. Avery, who is trembling almost as much as Crowley is. There's a wild moment where Crowley thinks the other man will call it off, will realise the mistake he's made and run, leave Crowley alone. But instead, As puts a hand on Crowley's waist, then he slides it up Crowley's back, rests it between his shoulder blades and pulls him close. Their foreheads touch and Crowley soaks up the contact like it's medicine. There are eyes on him, he can feel each pair of them, but the man he loves is warm and strong in his arms. They sway. It's not much of a dance. Crowley's not much of a dancer when he's sober, but he's in love, and that buried black-earth love of his crushes up against the wide grey sea of Avery Fell, and together they're a shoreline. When the song ends, people might be clapping. Crowley isn't certain, doesn't trust any of his senses except his sense of touch, which tells him as his arms are still wrapped around his waist. Would you like to go somewhere else? As asks, lips brushing against Crowley's ear as he speaks. God, yes. So they do. And when they get to Crowley's car, As doesn't even ask about the tint of the windows before kissing him. It's a softer kiss, one that tastes of salt and stings all the more for it. And when their lips separate, As runs a hand through Crowley's hair, only stutters a bit when he says, You can stay at my place, if you like. Fuck right off, Crowley does not say. He kisses Avery instead. How long have we been here? Crowley's on his back in a bed, and As's head is between his legs. He can't stop looking at him, can't stop touching his hair, rubbing his back against the pale blue sheets, biting his lips so he doesn't thrust his hips too sharply. You can, you know, Avery pulls off, lips shining. I want you to. He takes Crowley back into the heat of his lovely mouth, as deep as he can go. It's just on the side of too much, and when As trails slick fingers up his thigh, Crowley helplessly spreads his legs, beyond shame, all hunger and gratification. If you... if you don't... What the fuck are words when As is fingering him, just shallowly at the moment, which only makes Crowley want more and more and impossibly more. I... uh, uh, As! I'll come! Avery drags his lips up Crowley's cock, licks his tongue against the head. And it's too much, it's almost fucking over. Good, he breathes. But you, I want... Don't fret, my love. You'll come again when I'm fucking you. And against all biological evidence and past experience, Crowley does. It's the slow build that does it. As sucking him off and then fingering him through it until he's almost too sensitive. And when he can't take another moment of stimulation, when his cock is wrung out and his breathing is too fast and his legs won't spread any wider, As hauls his thighs up over his shoulders and licks into him, wet and insistent and God fucking heaven on earth. No one has ever done this before.' 
he makes a hideous series of noises, basically starts keening with each movement of Avery's tongue. Crowley swears he can feel the bastard's smile, so he uses his legs to pull As in closer, and then is ready to forgive him anything. Later, when it feels like he's been on the edge for hours, might die with how good he feels. As pulls back, pulls away. The absence of his mouth makes another wretched noise escape Crowley's throat, and he covers his face with his hands to try to muffle the sound. Christ, he is not always so needy. He is, he is. He should have more self-control than this. He doesn't. As is rolling on a condom, settling back against the headboard. With gentle hands he guides Crowley up onto knees, arranges his boneless limbs until he's sitting in Avery's lap, facing away from him. Fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh. Crowley gasps, weakly trying to lift himself up with trembling thighs, as Az presses kisses to his shoulder blades. Hush, darling. I've got you. I've got you. Az gets a hand on Crowley's waist, moving him where he wants him before pulling him down, sinking into him with one long, slow stroke. Oh, fuck! The air has been punched out of his lungs. There's no way he'll come again. But he's hard. He's hard and he wants to. And as his hands are on his hips, as his mouth is against the back of his neck, as is breathing obscenities into his spine while Crowley writhes and shudders on his cock. There you go, love, like that. He lifts Crowley's body in time to his thrusts, and it's deep, so deep. It feels like it's been years since Crowley's been touched like this, and it's Avery, and he wants him, he loves him. Oh, you perfect, gorgeous, bloody... As bites off a moan, and Crowley reaches behind him with both hands, steadies himself on Avery's forearms, fucking him, fucking him. Can you come from this? I think you will. I think you can. Lips press frantic kisses all over Crowley's back. I love you. I've missed you, and I love you, and I want you. Yes... Crowley's hips are jerking wildly, and Az is matching him thrust for thrust, and the bed frame is rattling underneath them. When Crowley lifts a hand to touch himself, Az stops him. Like this, Avery says. You can come like this. Why don't... Oh, 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 Jesus. You can. He tangles one hand in Crowley's hair and Crowley drops his head forward, wailing because he will, he will, he can. As is hot and huge inside him, all around him, and Crowley's suddenly there, coming on his stomach, hips rocking frantically into the air and wishing it was a mouth. So good, so good for me, As murmurs, so good, darling and then he's lifting himself up, moving Crowley forward onto his hands and knees. Avery fucks him like that until Crowley's voice is hoarse from moaning, and Az is coming inside him, hair damp and forehead pressed against Crowley's back. I love you, I love you. 
He says it again later, after the sweat has cooled and he's cleaned Crowley up, gently with his tongue first and a warm cloth second. I love you too. They fall asleep, kissing. Crowley wakes up beside him. There is sunlight streaming in the window, and the sky is clear, and it is morning. He watches the slow flicker of awareness in Avery's blue eyes, the curve of his mouth into a shade of smile that Crowley's never seen before. Hello, as murmurs, and Crowley kisses him. They go to breakfast together, as asks him, and he says yes. Crowley gets to leave his house with him, sit with him in a restaurant, stare moonstruck at him from across the table. Avery's lips are still a bit swollen, and his neck is pink from the rasp of Crowley's stubble. He looks desperately happy. There's a couple at a nearby table shooting them some looks, and Crowley flinches when he sees the telltale flash of a camera phone out of the corner of his eye. He looks quickly to Az for his reaction, but the other man only smiles, reaches across the white linen tablecloth to take Crowley's hand in his. There's logistics to think of, Crowley is muttering, filling up any and all space with nervous chatter. We'll have to talk to Michael. Yes, I have done. Not about you, exactly. I wouldn't have. Just said that I was in love with someone and wasn't going to hide it. Well, Crowley wasn't prepared for that response. Well, I suppose there's Gabriel. Oh, no, I let him go months ago. Always on about my weight, that one. I'm sorry, but who are you? Forgotten my name already? How sordid. I'll see if I can remind you of it when we get home. Here you are, gentlemen. The server drops off their coffee and tea just in time, because Crowley was about to choke. Move in with me, Crowley says in a rush, thinking of the word home in Avery's mouth, thinking of what he wants it to mean what he wants it to feel like. Or I could move in with you, or we could... whatever you like. Or not, of course. I... I'm going too fast. I shouldn't have... Yes. As leans forward to blow on his tea before smiling up at Crowley. I thought that would be obvious. My new flat is bigger, but yours has such a lovely view. Hmm. You'll have to think on it. As squeezes his hand once more before letting it go. We should have a toast. Yeah? Yes. What exactly are we toasting? My health. Avery laughs, and Crowley's in love with him, and it's broad daylight, open air, and he doesn't have to pretend otherwise. Can stare as much as he likes, can stare until his eyesight goes and his shoulders hunch, and his bones crumble to besotted dust. I don't know. It's such a beautiful day, isn't it? It feels like a new world, Avery says. Well, then. Crowley clicks his coffee mug against Avery's teacup. To the world. As smiles, warm and sweet as the tea in his mouth. To the world. 
Slow Show will conclude in Chapter 12.